Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated as grades four to six make their way to the lobby. Morning, church. How are you? Good. Uh, sometimes I just I tend to just get to it, so I thought, you know, maybe I'll say hi first. <laughs> so, as we've heard, our bishops have encouraged every church in our province to observe today as World Mission Sunday. So it's a great day to ask the question, what is the mission of the church in the world? And in our gospel that we just heard, our Lord Jesus Christ gives a, a very precise answer to that question. But just before he reveals what that is and says go, he says the following words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The 19th century Presbyterian pastor Albert Barnes is helpful in explaining why this truth is so crucial to the mission of the church. And, and from the perspective of Jesus, here's what he writes. Because all power is mine, that is Jesus, go. I can defend you. The world is placed under my control. It is redeemed. It is given me and promised by my Father as the purchase of my death. Though you are weak, yet I am strong. Though you will encounter many troubles and dangers, yet I can defend you. Though you die, yet I live, and the work shall be accomplished. I find it so comforting that all authority is not given to me or to us, but to Jesus. It's his mission. And we are called to actively participate in it as the body of Christ on earth. Therefore, in a very important and mysterious sense, the mission can't fail. We can fail and as individuals and as the church. And we have failed in many ways. But flawed and imperfect and sinful and weak as we are, the word of the Lord will not return to him empty, the scriptures say. It shall accomplish its purpose. Because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ the Lord, the church is to therefore go. But go and do what? Go, therefore, and make disciples. Disciples. Not merely churchgoers, mind you. Not even people who make decisions for Jesus. Though that's an important first step. Not converts to an idea or an ideology or a philosophy or even a movement, but disciples. Now, what is a disciple? Disciple is one who follows in the master's footsteps, ever learning and growing to become more like the master. One scholar puts it this way, discipleship is an apprenticeship which makes the fully formed disciple a living copy of the master. Therefore, the mission of the church is to be a school of Christ-likeness with the purpose of uh, being God's instrument in transforming self-absorbed sinners 
into self-giving little Christs, that is, Christians. Go, therefore, and make disciples. But go where? Go, therefore, and make disciples of what? Come on, folks. Go, therefore, and make disciples of? There we go. All nations, that is, all people groups, all nationalities, everyone, everywhere. Tradition tells us that St. Andrew went and preached to the Greeks. St. Thomas founded the church in India. Matthew preached in Ethiopia. Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot founded the Armenian church. You know which countries have the most Christians as a percentage of the population? East Timor is at the top of the list followed by American Samoa, Romania, Greece, Armenia, Grenada, Papua New Guinea, Puerto Rico, Greenland, Haiti, Paraguay, Zambia, and the list goes on. So clearly, Christianity is not just a Western religion for Western people. Yes, Westerners have sometimes made grave mistakes in the manner of bringing the gospel to the nations, sometimes unnecessarily imposing European ways on non-European peoples. And that's grievous. We in Canada are currently in the process of acknowledging and reckoning with that sin. But despite our sins, God's promise to Abraham that through him all the families of the earth shall be blessed is truly coming to pass. It's being fulfilled in Christ who is the light to lighten the nations. In our reading from Revelation today, what does St. John see? He sees a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the Lamb, and clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, the God of the nations, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So the church is called to make disciples of all nations. How is this to be done? Well, our Lord specifies two components in our text. And there's a, some, a, a big word alert here, okay? We have a sacramental component and a catechetical component. <laughs> and I, and I, I can hear uh, Heidi's words saying, okay, watch the Christianese. She's always warning us to, to, doubt, to, to not use too much Christianese in the office. And that's good. So I'm going to explain what these things mean. First, we have the sacramental component. Now, a sacrament is a visible, material channel of invisible divine grace. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are the two chief sacraments. And a disciple must be, by our Lord's command, baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is, plunged into union with the Most Holy Trinity, the one true God. Why? Why does our Lord include baptism in the Great Commission here? I think it's because unlike discipleship to Plato or Buddha, discipleship to Jesus is not a matter of mere human decision or effort, but a matter of reconciliation and union with God and transformation by divine grace. We can't cleanse ourselves or work our way out of our sins, nor can we effectively choose to imitate Christ by our own will and strength. Our sins must be washed away, and we must be mystically united to God himself in order to undertake a life of discipleship. 
So in baptism, the Father, the creator of all things, births us into a new creation. The Son, the redeemer of the world, delivers us from sin and death. And the Holy Spirit, the sanctifier of the faithful, sets us apart, seals us unto God, and begins the process of making us holy. There's no discipleship without spiritual death to sin and rebirth to life in God, of which baptism is the sacramental sign. The church is therefore to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So that's the sacramental component. Now we come to the catechetical component, or catechesis. Our Lord commands, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching. The church's traditional word for this teaching is catechesis or catechism, which simply means instruction in the faith. So the two great tasks of the church, therefore, in making disciples are baptizing and teaching. But the church's task is not simply to pass on head knowledge. As we said before, the church is to be a school of Christ-likeness or a school of righteousness. It's not only to teach doctrine, though sound doctrine is critical. It's to teach the disciple how to be a Christian. Paul writes to Timothy concerning this. He writes, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, catechesis, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the church then is to teach disciples not simply to believe, but to observe. The disciple is one who undertakes by grace to keep or observe all that our Lord Jesus commanded his apostles, which we find in the whole body of apostolic teaching, or the New Testament. Classically, the church has undertaken this teaching task by her preaching, which we're doing now, but also by offering official catechesis structured around three things. Number one, the Apostles' Creed, which is the summary of apostolic teaching. Number two, the Ten Commandments, interpreted and through and illuminated by Christ and his new commandment that we love one another as he has loved us. And three, the Lord's Prayer, the, the prayer that Christ himself has taught us. Thus, disciples learn what God has revealed about himself, chiefly through his Son, how we are created, redeemed, sanctified by God. We learn how to respond to this revelation by becoming obedient to our Lord's commandments. And we learn how to pray how we are to lift our minds and hearts to God to commune with him. In my time as a priest teaching the catechism to new converts, I've had the wonderful privilege of witnessing catechumens learn the content of the faith, yes, but more amazingly, over the course of their preparation for baptism, I've witnessed a miracle take place. I've seen disciples, as the Spirit does his work, begin to become untangled from the ways of the world and the flesh and the devil. They, so they not only learn a new teaching, they become new people. And it really is a, a miracle wrought by the Spirit of Jesus. So this is a great time for a plug. We've already heard about catechism in the announcements this morning. 
But we're starting a catechism course on February 11th. So if you want to get want to be prepared for baptism, or if you want to be prepared for confirmation, or if you just want a refresher in kind of, in kind of the basics of what it means to be a Christian, uh, please contact Phil or Hosea or Sarah and join them, join them in, the, in this wonderful task. So that's the mission of the church. We're called to make disciples by baptizing and teaching. And our Lord follows up his explanation of the church's mission with words of endless comfort. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When our kids were younger, every night after dinner and after whatever family activity we had done, Carly and I would give the kids a mission. And every night the mission was the same. We said to them, we instructed them, Go ye therefore upstairs, put your PJs on, and brush your teeth. That was the mission. And most nights, especially if we had watched a TV show with something a little bit scary in it, one of them would respond with a variation of this phrase, almost every night. We'd say, go ye therefore upstairs, get in your PJs, brush your teeth, and I'll be right up to put you to bed. But I'm scared. That was the response, but I'm scared. We can't go up there alone. It's dark up there. Don't worry, Frank, not anymore. Before, before. When you were, back when you were young. They would say, we will go, but you must come with us. Alone, they wouldn't, even couldn't go. But if Carly or I went with them, they would run up the stairs. And not only would they run up the stairs, but they'd be laughing and playing and squealing and and eventually carrying out their mission. The point is that, is that our presence gave them the boldness and the confidence and the lightness and the freedom to go. And that's what our Lord is promising in the church in this verse. Go and make disciples of all nations, but I'm scared. <laughs> but I can't go alone. It's dark out there. Behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. So listen again to the bookends of our, of our mission. And if we don't have these bookends, everything is doomed. The first one is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus. Which means that Jesus is sovereign over everything. That he is in charge. And then the other bookend is this, I am with you always to the end of the age. We always have to be reminding ourselves of these bookends, right? Our mission is sandwiched between these two great, wonderful, consoling truths. Now, how do we handle the middle part? How do we, specifically at St. Pete's, go and make disciples? I want to ask this question both corporately and individually. First, corporately. The instruction in Scripture is that we take our part in our mission according to our particular gifting, or what I'll call our charism. Charism is just a word in Greek for gift. So the question is, what is the gift that St. Pete's has been given to offer to the wider church and to, and to the world? 
Up until now, uh, I've deliberately not preached on vision here at St. Pete's because I really haven't wanted to impose my personal vision from outside and from above. But really careful to try not to do that. And I've wanted to discern from within, with counsel and with the wardens and with the staff and with the pastors, you know, what, what do we believe God is calling us to as a church? And of course, we have our vision, and that's not going to change. Discovering or rediscovering the goodness of God. But how? What's our particular way? Our charism? And Phil and I have spent a lot of time wrestling over this. Some really good time. Some little bit hard times, too. By the way, can I just talk about Phil for a minute? <laughs> you can put your earplugs in now, because I know you, you, know, you don't have to leave. Don't recuse yourself. But I, I know you can't take a compliment. So uh, Phil's quite a guy, you guys. He's quite a guy. Um, he, he's gifted in many things, not only administratively, uh, as a manager, as a leader, but he also has this rare thing that with that, he also has a pastor's heart. He has both, uh, which I, in my experience, is quite a rare thing. And one thing, one thing I've learned about Phil is that he loves this church. That is, he loves you. Uh, and not only does he love this church, but he's, he's very passionate about preserving what makes St. Peter's St. Peter's. What more could you want in a pastor? There, you can take your earplugs out now. Yeah. He's just, going, he's just trying to find a crack to, 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 to dive in now. One, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. So we've spent some time um, talking about this together, wrestling with this. And here's a crack, here's a crack at what we've kind of come to. And by the way, uh, this is not written in, in stone or any kind of official statement. So you know, I don't want the wardens coming up and giving me the old you know, shepherd's crook. I think that's probably why they're called wardens. <laughs> Warden, please escort this rector off the premises. Cole, I can see, I'm looking at Colton right now. I can see with his mustache, putting some aviators on. Just, I, can just see, I can just hear him say, get him out of here. Uh, but I've, I've talked to him, and I've talked to, the, to our uh, pastor's warden, too. So this is kind of, kind of what, what I've gathered here. That, and it's just, just how I'm seeing things at present. I think, I think, that our charism, our particular gift to the church and to the world is to make following Jesus in the Anglican way accessible to non-Anglicans, inquirers, and new or returning Christians. I think it's something like that. Let me say that again. Our charism is to make following Jesus in the Anglican way accessible to non-Anglicans, inquirers, and new or returning Christians. And the Anglican way is what we share with our wider church family. Uh, I'll just do, quick, quickly summarize what, what the Anglican way is. We worship Jesus corporately using the Book of Common Prayer. We are taught by his word, as interpreted through the 39 articles. We are formed by him through the catechism. And we are shepherded by him under the bishop, parish, clergy, 
and parish council. But the way that we do that is going to look a lot different than St. John's or than St. Timothy's or than the other churches in Anak. How, how do we at St. Pete's do that? I think the accessibility piece is the key to our charism. What does that mean? I think it means that we will maintain a casual, informal atmosphere. I think it means that we will default to invitation over imposition. I think it means that we'll try our best to carefully explain why we do what we do. And I think it means that we will patiently facilitate working through doubts and healing from hurts. Something like that. That's what it means to be accessible. And Phil and I agree that there need, there's a tension that needs to be maintained here. And that if we cease to be Anglican or if we cease to be accessible, something about St. Pete's dies. So, so we need to keep those two things in tension. And the great thing is, uh, it's not a zero-sum game. So we can lean into both of them. And they can both respond to each other. And they can help the other to, to not run off the rails and become something that it shouldn't become. How does that sound? And, and, and if you have more ideas about that or different ideas, please, please come and talk to me. So that's an attempt at articulating our corporate charism. By the way, I felt like in our, uh, in our council retreat, it was clear that it's the rector's job to kind of be the keeper of the vision. So I thought, OK, well, I better start discerning what that is. <laughs> but we're, we're doing that together. We're doing that together. Now, what about our individual charisms within the corporate charism? Well, the first thing I want to say is that Paul's really clear that everyone has a different role to play. And he even says, not all are apostles. Not all are preachers. Not all are evangelists. Not all Christians are called to go somewhere else to openly preach and baptize. That's a specific apostolic or missionary calling. But Paul also says that all Christians do have a calling as part of the body. Some parts of the, of the body are more visible, and some parts are covered up and are not seen by anyone. But every part of the body has an essential function. My question to us this morning is, what is your vocation in the body of Christ? What gift has God given you to serve his mission? I think I can describe my vocation for you. So I'll give you a crack at that, OK? And this is me sharing about myself, Phil, OK? <laughs> I think my vocation as a married priest and a coffee man is basically threefold. First one is to endeavor to love my wife as Christ loved the church and to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And Carly can tell you that I'm still in training wheels with this one. I've got a long way to go. But the vocation of parent is to baptize and catechize our own children, right? I think my second vocation is to preach the gospel and administer the sacraments and provide pastoral care for you, the saints of St. Peter's Fireside. And the third kind of aspect of my vocation is to live in obedience to Christ in my work at J.J. Bean, to share the love of Christ, and to share the gospel when the Lord opens the door. That's my current vocation according to my gifts. 
And you'll notice that it concerns people in the little spheres that God has given me. Home, church, work. Your vocation in the body will be different than mine. Not all are apostles, not all are priests, not all are married. Some are called to be single. Not all are coffee people. You should be, but not all are. What is your vocation? You might already know and have a clear idea what your vocation is, but you might not, and that's okay. We all go through times when we know we have gifts, but we don't know exactly what we're supposed to use them for. We know that we've been called to something, ordained, but we don't know how or where. And clergy go through this too, seriously. I dare say our beloved Rob is going through this right now. He's been called. He's been ordained. He's been prepared. He's been formed. But at this very moment, he doesn't exactly know to whom or where or, or how that's going to look. And that's like a desert experience. And many of you may be going through that right now. So when you pass by Rob today, give him a little pat on the back, will you? Give him a little hug. If you're in that situation, today might be the day to ask the Lord, what is my vocation? What gifts, God, have you given me for my part in the church's mission? I had lunch with Lloyd this week at UGM, and I got a little glimpse, a little glimpse, a little very small glimpse of his vocation to minister to the folks at UGM and to minister to us here at St. Pete's. And he's got that kind of combination too. I've got a combination, you know. We talk about Phil. He's got a combination. Lloyd's also got a combination. So, so our vocations aren't this like one thing. They're, God has called us to complex things. And, and Lloyd's like that. It's great to sit with him and to hear how God brought him there and how he feels like he's, he's, he's living in a vocation that he's called to live in. And I'm so grateful for his continued ministry here with us. So don't get any ideas, Lloyd. <laughs> Chill. Perhaps your charism is prayer, to be an intercessor. Perhaps at this time, it's simply to be a Christian parent to your, ch to your children. Which, man, is that a, a hard and difficult and important vocation. Perhaps you're called to cheerful giving. Some who are sitting in this room may be called to be ordained deacons or even priests. Some might be called to be consecrated single people. I don't know. I don't know what God's calling you to. But I know he's calling you. He's calling you. Every Christian has a role to play in the body according to our gifts and according to the gifts that God, God has given us. So there's the application. Asking the Lord, Lord, what are you calling me to in light of the mission of our church? And if you need to pray through that with someone, please uh, come and again receive prayer during communion or, or look for someone with an orange tag on their, around their neck or look for a pastor and just say to them today, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing or I think I'm in the wrong vocation or, or uh, I'm in the desert and I don't know where I'm supposed to be going next. And we'll pray with you. There may not be immediate answers, but, but, but we'll figure it out. We'll 
figure it out together. We'll discern together. Okay? All right. That was a big, I think that was a big one. I think that was a big one. Let me just bless the Lord and bless you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.